Our messages are from the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, also sometimes called the Apocalypse. In modern language, when people say Apocalypse, they're usually talking about a scary movie or a scary book, something really ominous and horrifying. That's really not what the word means. Apocalypse means unveiling. Or in other words, this is the last book in the Bible in which God is making very clear to us His intent and purposes in the world. The Revelation, then, really isn't a horror story for the believer, and the book is written particularly to the believer. The Revelation is, the apocalypse is, it's the unveiling of God's beautiful drama of the victory of God over all of his enemies, of the victory of God and his people over all his enemies. God's ultimate victory is what this book is about. And this is the unveiling of God's ultimate victory. So we're in a series of messages preaching our way through the book of Revelation. And this morning, we're beginning a series within a series that's called the Tribulation. It's interesting to notice that this is going to cover chapters 6 through 19 of Revelation. Let me go over a little bit of a a review. First, chapter 1 was a vision of Jesus. So the book starts like a letter, which it is. And in the letter, then, it, it describes a vision that John had on the Isle of Patmos, a vision of Jesus, which was a very rich vision. In chapters 2 and 3, then, what do you have? You have these seven letters to the churches, and we kind of preached our way through those seven letters to the churches. It was enriching to do that. And they're not only letters to those churches, each church individually, but to all the churches collectively across time. And so that's why they were, like, really relevant to us. And then if you recall, we had that scene of the throne room in heaven we call the control center of the universe, chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 1, a vision of Jesus. Chapter 2 and 3, letters to the churches. Chapters 4 and 5 were the throne room of heaven and the drama that was going on there. Do you remember that? There was the one who was on the throne, and then no one was worthy to open the scroll that was in his right hand, and the scroll was sealed seven times, and that was going to be what was going to unfold upon the earth, and no one was worthy, and John wept, and then, then, wait, there was one who prevailed and who was slain, and he was worthy, and Jesus is introduced then as the lamb that was slain, who's worthy to open the scroll, in other words, to un to reveal the rest of what God was going to do to take back the earth for himself. Now, that's where we are right now. And so you have, in chapters 6 through 19, something unique. In chapters 6 through 19, you have lots of references to the church that go up to chapter 4 in particular, and the 4 and 20 elders in heaven and so forth. In chapters 6 through 19, you have no mentions of the church. So you have like 14 chapters of the Bible in the end where the church isn't mentioned, as if the church isn't even there. And that's really what we believe. We believe the church isn't on earth during this time, but that the church is in heaven. It's been caught up to be with the Lord in heaven during this time. And what's happening now on earth in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is described in other places in the Bible. Jesus described it in Matthew 24, and he called it the time of tribulation. In the three, last three and a half years, he called the great tribulation. And he said it's like nothing that ever happened before and nothing that will ever happen again. It is the most horrifying time in all the history of mankind in the world. Jesus talked about it that way. There's a prophecy of the tribulation, which again has to do with God's people, the Jews. And this prophecy is given in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And the specific time is given of that prophecy, especially the last half, which is called the time of Jacob's trouble. In other words, trouble for Israel. Here's the deal. 
The Bible teaches that God is going to deal with Israel as a nation again someday. As a matter of fact, the Bible not only teaches that God is going to deal with Israel as a nation someday, specifically turning his attention to Israel, it actually says prophetically how much time he's going to spend doing that. And that period of time is a seven-year period of time. And chapters 6 through 19 describe that seven-year period of time. So here's what's going to happen in the, in the church. Uh, and I just don't want to shock you or anything. But from now till Easter almost, it's like 14 chapters. So I don't know how many weeks that is. But it's like from now to Easter, we're going to be in the tribulation as a church. That's going to be a happy time, isn't it, right? And so it's kind of interesting. One of the things that makes me think as a pastor is this. I, I don't know if you're with me. I'm sure that you are. But I believe in the sufficiency of this book. This whole church has always been and always will be, by God's grace, built on the teaching of this book, the Bible. And so if this Bible says a lot about something, there's a good reason for it. And I don't know that reason fully. I have a really good idea of one of the reasons today, but because I haven't studied the rest of the book in the same depth that I've studied chapters 1 through 6, I can tell you one really strong reason why God wants his people to spend so much time thinking about the tribulation of Israel or the great tribulation or what's going to happen in the seven years that follow the rapture on earth. I do know there's one good reason I'll tell you later. And as you study the revelation, maybe you can find other good reasons why God wants us to spend so much time in it. But one of the things our church does in order to yield to the authority of God is we yield to the authority of God's word. So in other words, we're not just exchanging opinions here. The, the heart and soul of our church is people standing with a Bible in hand, simply explaining what the Bible says. It's amazingly relevant to every single one of our lives when you just have someone explain what the Bible says and how that applies to our lives now. So that's what we're going to be doing here. So in Revelation, so we've reached Revelation chapter 6, and Revelation chapter 6 is... Um, the, the book of Revelation has, a, from this point on, in Revelation 6 through 19, has a series of judgments that come from God. And the series of judgments are kind of given symbolic uh, references so that they're easy to, to uh, study or to understand. There are seven, there are three sets of seven judgments that you're going to understand when you read Revelation. You think, wait a minute, Pastor, you're going too fast. Don't worry, we're going to be here for a while. So we're going to come here week after week, and you get to study week after week. And if you really want this to be meaningful for you, lean into it. And the way to do that is to take your Bible every week and read carefully over and over again. Read the passage we're going to be preaching on. Pastor Lounsbury and I, they worked together on the worship. And one thing, I, a long time ago, when we first started working together, we went to Cracker Barrel in Belleville, didn't we? We sat down and I said, your number one responsibility in this church is to read the text of Scripture that we're going to be preaching on Sunday. And then, so the worship uh, comes out of that text. And so what happens then is the songs that we sing show a, an attendance upon the text of that Scripture that we're going to preach. Well, if you really want to get a lot out of the preaching, here's what I would suggest. Read the passage ahead of time and pepper it with questions. For instance, one of the passages that we're going to look at today says, there are souls under the altar in heaven, and they're crying out. Well, does that, does that bring up any questions in your mind? Anybody here know what, what are the souls under the altar? That's enigmatic. That's mysterious. Souls under the altar. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, one of the passages that we're going to look at today, one of the verses we're going to look at today, talks about a rider on a white horse. Does that sound exciting to you? 
a rider on a white horse. That's interesting. Revelation 19 talks about a rider on a white horse. We know the rider on the white horse, Revelation 19, is clearly has crowned with many crowns and he comes with the saints. Who is that? That's got to be Jesus. The rider on the white horse in Revelation 6, would that be different than a rider on the white horse in Revelation 19? Well, that's a good question. You should be asking yourself as you read the passage, my preaching as lackluster as it might be, is going to seem really interesting to you if I'm answering questions that you've been asking all week. And so help me out here and help yourself uh, and, and by studying the Scripture ahead of time and by reading it ahead of time. What I want to do right now is... Uh, and so again, again, what we have here in Revelation 6, so you have these, these three sets of judgments. Uh, obviously, the first set of judgments are... We, we call them sealed judgments because they happen when the scroll is unsealed. And there are seven seal judgments. Out of the last seal judgment comes seven more judgments. And these are trumpet judgments. They happen when a trumpet is blown in the vision in heaven. And there are seven trumpet judgments. When the last of the seven trumpet judgments happens, then out of that seventh, there are seven more bowl judgments. And so they're somewhat successive, happening one after another. And they're somewhat overlapping now, when you study the book of Revelation, what you're going to find out is interesting is you would think that it would be just clean and chronological, that it's just going to, un, un, it's going to unfold in a chronological order what's going to happen next. But the Bible is a much more beautiful and complex book than that. It's just not that simple. It's simple and it's plain and it's clear, but it also has like little sidebars or little, little divine rabbit trails. That's what happens in chapter 7, for instance. In chapter 6, you have there's going to be seven seals, but only six of them are in chapter 6. And the seventh seal is going to be in chapter 8. In between, there's a little sidebar, which is chapter 7. And in the sidebar of chapter 7, God is going to be giving us a glimpse of what happens to people that he's protecting. It's kind of like a little sidebar. So in chapter 6, what, what, the fifth judgment or the fifth seal that's broken and the judgment that comes, comes when the martyrs cry out from under the altar. And so there's this matter of people being martyred for their faith. So chapter 7 is talking about, but they don't get martyred until Jesus says it's okay for that to happen. And chapter 7 talks about that God is in control, even of when people are martyred, that God can, there's a limitation to that. There's a number that's set on that, and there's something that God is going to do about that. So we could just go on and on about that. It's really very fascinating stuff. In a moment, we're just going to read slowly and carefully through Revelation chapter 6. But if you compare Revelation chapter 6 to Matthew 24, Matthew 24 is one of the discourses of Jesus that's given. The five discourses of Jesus that are given in Matthew. One of those discourses is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. It's obviously on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is giving a teaching. And this is one of the most like spine-tingling teachings Jesus ever gave. Because he's talking about things that are going to happen in the future in ominous ways that are just incredible. Now, if you take your Bible and you notice in Matthew 24 and 25, which is the Olivet Discourse, you notice that Matthew 25 is primarily Jesus giving stories that elucidate 24. Chapter 24 is primarily Jesus telling about what happens during this time. You actually, as I preached through Matthew, and I'm sure you all remember this, we went through that passage in 24, and the message titles were the beginning of the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation. And the Bible makes much of this tribulation time. Informed Christians should have an understanding of the tribulation because Jesus talked about it, because Daniel talked about it, because Revelation, John saw it, and, and God, in this climax of the Bible, God gives 14 chapters to the tribulation 
and to the great tribulation. So if you compare Matthew 24 and Revelation 6, and you can do this on your own, you'll see that this is the period of time that Jesus himself called the tribulation. There's no mention of the church in chapter 6 through 19. This is also called, the second half is also called the time of Jacob's trouble. As I mentioned, time of trouble for Israel. So we believe the church is caught away, that God is dealing primarily with Israel in this passage, though it has a very serious bearing on all of us. And remember, this is a letter to the churches talking about what God is doing and how he works with Israel. So the church is still the primary audience, even though it's talking about Israel. They're the churches, this letter to the churches, right? Then you have this, the, the, um, the, in, according to Daniel 9.27, seven years, as I mentioned, are assigned to Israel in the prophetic calendar of God. And the calendar for the future begins with a signing of an agreement with a world dictator. As world dictator, we know in the Bible is the Antichrist. And it ends with Christ's return in power and great glory to judge evil and to establish his kingdom. The, the coming of Christ in power and great glory. It, it begins with the signing of this treaty with the Antichrist. It ends with the return of Christ in power and great glory. This passage, this period, is also described in Luke in an interesting way, and this is kind of germane to what we're going to talk about today. Luke calls this period of time the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God. Does the God that you know have vengeance in his character? Well, this period of time that we're talking about, which is like 14 chapters long, is a reference to God's vengeance, God's vindication of the righteous, God's acting in just judgment, God's playing out his justice. And what we're going to see, this is a major piece of what we're going to talk about today, is that God is different than most of us think he is, and that there's a piece of his character that, that is his wrath, his character, his judgment, his justice, much of which is ignored in the popular church today. In other words, a lot of churches you go to will never talk about this. They'll talk about a lot of good things. They'll be very helpful in many ways. They will not talk about the wrath of God. They will not talk about the judgment of God. They will not talk about the justice of God. They certainly won't give it the ink that the Bible has given it. They're going to spend 14 weeks in a row on it. If it's, four, if it's one week per chapter, we'll be here at least 14 weeks, unless, of course, we get raptured. Um, then we're going to assign the preaching to somebody else. That's like, I would name names, but then that would be really dirty, wouldn't it? We'll turn this over to so-and-so. Yeah. Anyway, so the first three and a half years of this tribulation are described in verse chapters 6 through 9. And the middle is described in chapters 10 through 14. And the end of the tribulation is described in Revelation 15 through 19. And then there's the coming of Christ. So let's read the passage instead of just talking about it. All right? Are you ready? Take your Bibles now, and let's take a look at Revelation chapter 6. And you will find that without any commentary on my part, this is very edifying. If you just pay attention to what it says. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. In the original, it would be just come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened his second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come, and see, another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people would, should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creatures say, come 
and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7. When he opened a fourth seal, I heard a voice of a fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And then I looked, and he opened a sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun being black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the commanders, and the mighty men, and every slave, and every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come and who is able to stand? So here we have of justice and fairness. We live in a world that isn't fair. We serve a God who's always just. We want to talk about the judgments in Revelation. You have seven sealed judgments. Six of them are mentioned here in chapter 6. The seventh in chapter 8 and verse 1. You have seven trumpet judgments that come out of the seventh sealed judgment, as I understand this. Seven trumpet judgments come out of the seventh. And again, these are all revealed when you see into heaven and you see that these seals are broken and then these things happen on earth. And these trumpets are blown and then these things happen on earth. And these bowls are poured out and then these things happen on earth. God is acting in total and complete control of the judgments that are being poured out on the earth during the tribulation. And then you have seven bold judgments that come out of the seventh trumpet judgment. Have I confused you yet? So they telescope out, if you will. It's just real simple to understand. Three sets of seven judgments are going to come on the earth during that time, but they telescope out. In other words, another way of saying this is the seven sealed judgments encompass the entire tribulation. And the other judgments come out of that and come out of that. We'll explain that more later on. Um, and, and, and you'll understand the trumpet judgments come out of the last seal judgment. The bull judgments come out of the last trumpet judgments. All the judgments are included in the seven seal judgments, the first six of which we're going to talk about today. And so they are, again, telescopic. And it isn't strictly chronological, but the author is going to insert sidebars with certain events which are going to elucidate certain features of things that happen. It makes for fascinating reading. And they're given in a vivid and evocative imagery. We only have horses that are red and pale and black and white and, and all kinds of like shocking kind of apocalyptic vivid imagery. And why? Because this is an aid to memory and it's to shock us into recognition that this isn't just kind of myths or stuff that we're talking about. This is blood and guts, if you will, of life. This is, God is holding us accountable for what he says. For instance, Revelation comes with a promise, Right? 
Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And that's where most of us usually stop. Oh, we're blessed because we read and we heard. Pastor read that, now I'm blessed. No, no, that's not what it says. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it because the time is near. In other words, this could happen anytime. There's a blessing to those who read this, who hear this, and who obey this. I want to tell you something personal. Um, 2016 for me is going to be God helping me the year of doing, not just hearing and talking and writing. There are certain things that I have written about that I write about better than I do. There are certain things that I talk about that I talk about better than I do. There are certain things I've heard, and I just haven't done them like I want. And I'm asking God, there's, and I'm not telling you what they are. But there's certain things in my life that I just, this is the year for, and I'll tell you for you, I want to challenge you as a church. And we're going to challenge you as a church to make this really the year of doing, like for instance, an example, and you'll see this in a minute, is how important is prayer. And the Lord has put this on our heart as a church. In 2016, it's going to be the year that we emphasize prayer in our church like we've never done it before. So in 2016, we're not just going to talk about prayer. We're not just going to read about prayer. We're not just going to hear about prayer. God willing, we're going to pray. You know, what, what is it? The, a, a, the, the simplest deed is greater than the grandest intention. In other words, God blesses people who do. That's, therefore, we want to have this vivid imagery and this evocative imagery is to stimulate us to obey what God says. And to do what God says to do. And it takes seriously what God has said. And that's what we want to do here. So let's go through now these various different seals as far as we can get in the time that we have. The first seal is the white horse in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Notice that it is symbolically white, a symbol of peace. He has a bow, the threat of war. A crown, this is a Stephanos crown. If you remember, there's the diadem crown given to the one who is the uh, royal ruler. And there's Stephanos crown is the one that's given to the victor. They're different crowns. The, by the way, the one who rides the, the white horse in Revelation 19 is crowned with many diadem crowns. He's the king of kings. Not this one. He's crowned with a Stephanos crown, a, a crown that he gained through certain negotiations and victories. This is actually not a good thing. All these are judgments that are being poured out. Jesus is poured out as a judgment. Jesus is the one who's the lamb who's unsealing this. So the rider on the white horse here is, is uh, a false piece, a counterfeit of Christ or an antichrist. And so he conquers or he brokers a peace. And this is literally what's going to happen initially in the great tribulation or, or in the Time of period of time we call the tribulation, there's going to be a time of false peace. And you can tell the world is really hungry for that right now. All of us long for that. Well, somebody's going to come along, especially probably explaining what happened in the rapture, and saying, look, we're going to pull everybody together and we're going to have peace. We're going to have peace. Who, if somebody can come along and broker a peace in the Middle East and get everybody to get along and not threaten each other with nuclear annihilation and not shoot each other, then people are going to follow him. And this one is going to be demonic, a demonic counterfeit. One of the things we want to do as we read the passage is remember that there are always counterfeits for every good thing that God is doing. And we should be really aware of counterfeits when they come in. Now, the second seal is the red horse, verses 3 and 4. And again, remember, Remember this, what happens in each case with these, by the way, we call this the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, and that is, uh, these aren't guys that play for Notre Dame or Ohio State. The, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they are the riders of the horses in 
the revelation. And this, these, these four horses, uh, the white horse then would be, this begin, a time, they, they, they're symbolic of things that are happening, not literal horses riding across the sky. So during this time, there's going to be this false peace. And then, notice in every case of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there's a, there's a, there's a system here. The first thing it says is the lamb, right? In each case. Look in chapter 6 and verse 1. Then I saw the lamb. Chapter 6 and verse 3. Then he, the lamb, opened the second seal. Chapter 6 and verse 5. Then he, the lamb, opened the third seal. Chapter 6 and verse 7. Then he, the lamb, opened the fourth seal. Chapter 6 and verse 9. Then he, the lamb, opened it. Get it? The lamb is opening the seals. Who's the lamb? He's the lamb that was slain. That's a hint. It's Jesus. Jesus, who's in charge of these judgments that are coming on the earth, he's the one who opens the seal. And then what happens after the seal is open is interesting. After the seal is open, then a living creature calls forth one of these riders. So you understand these riders on the earth that are coming out in judgment on the earth are not acting on their own. They are not acting on, they may think they're acting on their own, but they're actually commissioned by God. They're allowed by God to do what they're doing. The lamb, he opens the seal, the living creatures who are angels that serve the Lamb are calling forth these riders, and that's a pattern in every one of these that happens. And so he calls forth the, red, the rider of the red horse, and the red is a symbol of war or conflict. He's granted to take peace from the whole earth. That's never happened before. There have always been pockets of peace somewhere on the earth, but during this time, he's going to take peace from the whole earth, and people are going to kill one another. If you think it's bad now, wait until you hear about what happens then. And there's given to them a sword. This is a great sword. In the original, the idea is like the dagger of revolt, the person, the person that uses this in betrayal. And so, in other words, the idea is this. You have this uh, period of time of peace that's going to happen in the tribulation. There's going to be a false treaty that's signed, a counterfeit Messiah, an antichrist that comes. Then he's going to break that treaty. And when he breaks that treaty, there's going to be unprecedented war and mayhem and death and killing. And Jesus talked about that too in Matthew 24, 6 and 7. He said, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. These things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What period of time was Jesus talking about? Now, before the rapture, or later after in the tribulation? In the tribulation. So, so if you're a Christian and you say, there's wars, rumors of wars, like, well, that's a sign in the tribulation. Uh, so be aware of that. The third seal then, and by the way, none will ever broker a worldwide peace but the prince of peace. A genuine peace will only come from him. Third seal then is a black horse. The seal is broken. The black horse rides forth. The lamb opens his seal. The living creature's call force has come, and the black horse rides. The black is a symbol of famine that comes after the false peace, and after the war. Then scarcity. The scales are a symbol of scarcity. And the quart of wheat and three quarts of barley. In other words, you have to work all day for just the simplest meal to survive. There's going to be incredible inflation. There's going to be incredible hardship. And God has appointed times. There's an enigmatic thing here that I'm not sure I really fully understand. It's one of those areas I'm going to probe further. But read it with me. Notice in, in verse 6, it says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. I get that. He's saying during this time, food is going to be so short, they're going to have to work all day just to feed one person. And then, then it says this, Do not harm the oil and the wine. And my, thought, my mind goes, Huh? What's that all about? Okay, if you have the answer to that, come to me afterward. You know, I'll give you a valuable cash prize. But here's what I, I, I know. Based on the passage and the, the tenor of the passage, the context of the passage, 
God is in control of this judgment. It will go not one bit farther than he wants it to go. He says, this is going to be in short supply. This is not going to be in short supply. Now go do what I said. So we don't know why the oil and wine, and maybe you do know that, and certainly some scholar may have figured that out, and that'll be fascinating because I just don't know that right now. Um, it's above my pay grade, I suppose. But anyway, um, I do know this. God says that he's in control of the judgment, and what he says is going to be judged is judged, and what he withholds from judgment is going to be withheld from judgment. And then there's the fourth seal, the pale horse in verses six, uh, 7 through 8. You have the rider is death. He has power to kill a quarter of the earth. Today, there's 7.5 billion people on earth. That's 1.8 billion people. That's never happened before. In all of the horrible tragedies in all the world, that's ne- we never come close to seeing that kind of death. This is a, an incredible, incredible, horrifying bloodbath of death. Of, if it would hap- if it happened today, again, we're talking almost 2 billion people would die. Horrifying thing. And this is what the Bible says will happen during that time, through sword, hunger, death, and beasts. Matt, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, verses 7 through 9. He said, A nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And any other way is not a way of life. But it's a way of death. Remember that. Anybody who comes along and says that this religion has good in it or that, it's like, well, the end of that religion, if that religion isn't the religion of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King, the giver of life, the end of that religion is what? Death. That's whether you're radical or not radical. The end of a false religion is always death. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a serious matter. Um, Jesus is the way of life. Now, there's a bit of a transition because now we've had the four horsemen of the apocalypse or symbolic riders of horses that are giving symbolic, uh, they're, they're symbolic examples of what's going to happen during the tribulation. And now something changes a bit. And the next two seals, when they're broken, other things happen. In the first case, this is in the fifth seal, martyrs cry out. The seals like martyrs pray or cry out to God. So in other words, the lamb breaks the seal and stuff happens. This happens in four cases, there are horses. But now Jesus is going to act, the lamb is going to act, and he's going to act when the martyrs cry out. When people have been killed for their faith cry out, he's going to pour out a judgment on the earth. When they pray out to God, God is going to act on their behalf, and he's going to pour a judgment out on the earth. Here's what it says, verse 9. He opened a fifth seal. I saw under the altar. I'm sorry. Yeah, the fifth seal. I saw under the altar... The souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had held. Would that ever happen to you? Would anyone ever take your life because you will not re- let go of your, the word of God or of your testimony? Would that ever happen? To, would any of you ever be in danger of being slain for the word of God and for your testimony? Like, do you have a testimony? Is the word of God precious to you? Do people who know you know that you would die for Christ if you needed to? Do you live for Christ now? So these martyrs, though, they're slain. In their in the tribulation period, they were slain. And verse 10 says they cried out with a loud voice saying, you know, avenge us, God. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're asking God to do what God alone can do, and that is to act in vengeance, in perfect justice. And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed is completed. In other words, God has in his sovereign purposes a number of people that are going to die, and when that's done, that's when he's going to pour 
out this, this judgment. It's really interesting. There are two responses uh, to the four horses of counterfeit peace and war and famine and death. Two responses. One of them is in this uh, fifth seal, and the other is in the sixth seal. In the fifth seal, the response is martyrs crying out in heaven, avenge us. And the second response is wrath poured out on dwellers on the earth. And they're going to cry out. You're going to see this in a minute. Hide us. People that are living on the earth, they're crying out, hide us. People that are under the altar. What does this mean, by the way, under the altar? That's a, that's a fascinating uh, thing. Uh, the souls under the altar, what does that mean? The, you, you need to think, when, when you run into something in Revelation that's difficult to understand, it's really important to always check and see if that's a reference to an Old Testament symbol. As there are 500 plus Old Testament references in Revelation. In other words, you really would not want to try to understand Revelation well if you don't understand the Old Testament well. Because often the, the writer of Revelation, inspired by God, is going to refer to things that only people who had a grasp of the Old Testament would understand. This is a great example of that. Because in the Old Testament, when, an, when a sacrifice was given to God, and when that sacrifice was accepted by God, then the blood of that sacrifice was poured out under the altar. And God says, I receive and accept. The sacrifice is given. When these people gave their lives, it's as if their blood was poured out under the altar. And God says, I've received your life as an acceptable sacrifice to me. You say it's the most horrible thing to die. It wouldn't be if your life was received by God as an acceptable sacrifice to God. These are crying out from under the altar, those who had been received as an acceptable sacrifice unto God. Their cry will trigger another wave of judgment on the earth. They're given white robes and and told to rest until their number is complete. And God is in sovereign control of that number. And I don't want to give too much away about when we get to Revelation chapter 7, but that's what Revelation chapter 7 is all about. He says he's going to hold back the four winds of the earth. He said angels hold back the four winds of the earth and say you don't do what you do until I'm done sealing those who are on the earth. And so God has this in very much control. Do Do you get this? You may suffer, but you will never suffer as a believer, but God is in control of your suffering. You may even die, but you will not die unless God has planned for you to die for his glory. You see what I'm saying? You, and, and so life is not fair, but God is perfectly just. And that's what you see in this passage over and over and over again. God uses the prayers of his saints to accomplish his purposes on earth. Evangel, we want to be evangel, don't we? This isn't about me or my ministry. It's about this wonderful area that God has placed us in and the people that are precious to God who need to know him like we know him. We want to be evangelists. We want to let them know that's not going to happen unless we pray because God acts in this world to fulfill his sovereign purposes when his people cry out in prayer. So that's the number one thing. In 2016, I think that's the number one thing that we ought to do as a church. And that is that we ought to do, instead of talking about prayer, instead of reading about prayer, instead of hearing about prayer, just pray more, more faithfully, more fervently, more frequently. What will God do if we pray? If we ask God to act, Especially when we're asking him to do what he already said he wanted to do. You think about a wayward son or a wayward daughter. And the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you begin to pray to God, God, then bring my wayward son back to yourself. Bring my wayward daughter, my wayward grandchild back to yourself. God, would you do that, please? I'm going to pray to you every day that even if it's years after I die, that a person who's far from you comes back to God. And God acts in answer to prayer. And then we get to watch God acting in answer to prayer. Understand when we look at a passage like this... It's clear that's how God acts. He acts when he stimulated his saints to pray. And the saints pray for him to do what he promised he would do. And then he does it. I'm going to give you a little, well, 
I'll give you a special secret next time I speak about that. Remind me. The sixth seal, then, that wasn't really fair, was it? The sixth seal is going to be cosmic chaos that breaks out on the earth. It's interesting here because God doesn't send anybody to do this. It's like he does it himself. Cosmic chaos. It's just horrifying. And there are a number of places in Revelation and in the apocalyptic literature of the Bible, in the Olivet Discourse, in the book of Daniel and Zechariah, and other places in the Bible that talk about this kind of catastrophic, chaotic, cosmic chaos. Listen to what it says again. I looked and opened a sixth seal. Behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun was black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to earth like a fig tree drops its late figs, and the sky rolled back. It's ominous, right? A great earthquake. Sun becomes black. Moon looks, makes the, looks like blood. Stars of heaven fall. This would be uh, not to be understood, this is not to be understood literally, but uh, figuratively in terms of uh, like asteroid or meteor shower. The stars of heaven fall. The mountains and the islands all around the world are moved. It's like the whole earth is shaken. This is a worldwide earthquake. Do you realize one relatively small earthquake a few years ago caused a tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands of people? One little relatively small earthquake. This is an earthquake that's going to move all the islands and all the mountains of the earth. It's going to be an incredible chaos in the world. Matthew 24, Jesus said it this way in verse 21, there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No and never shall be. This has not happened in the past. This isn't happening right now. This hasn't happened yet. And when it does happen, we'll know it's the only time it will happen. No one will doubt it's happening. That's what Jesus is saying. So what's the, what's the whole point? Well, this, remember, this book is written to churches that are being persecuted by Domitian. Domitian, we call him Domitian the pipsqueak. He's been dead and gone for a long time, and nobody's scared of him anymore. You don't wake up trembling in the morning about Domitian, do you? You don't worry about that might be worried about Donald Trump or Hillary, but you're not worried about Domitian, right? You ought to worry about both of those people, I'm just saying. But anyway, if you don't agree, I'll be glad to talk with you later about that. Um, but don't be intimidated by great men or great women or people who think they're great. Don't be intimidated by world rulers. I lost half of you right there. You're like, what? what's he talking about? Uh, come back, come back. There. Don't be intimidated by anybody but fear and respect God. That's what this passage is saying. He's the ultimate judge. When he judges, he's going to pour out judgment. No one will be able to withstand. And that's why the response is incredible. In verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in caves and rocks of the mountains. And you notice what they do? They cry out to God, right? No. No, they don't cry out to God, do they? Your sharp bobs are back there. You go, they're not crying out to God. Look at the engineers. They're on top of these things. No, they cry out to the mountains. The knuckleheads still don't know enough to talk to God. They are rebellious against God. They will not cry out to God. Mountains fall on me. If they cried out to God in repentance, they would be saved from the wrath of the Lamb by the blood of the Lamb. But what happens is if you resist God, soon he'll give you a spirit of resistance and you won't be able to do anything else. The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand is the question that this chapter ends with. The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Why was this important to the original audience? Because it's a great encouragement to faithful people that are persevering under pressure, and it's a great warning to all of us. Why would this be important to us? 
why 14 chapters? Well, one answer would be we study, we'll see more. But from this passage, we can see that Jesus is so kind and merciful that he's giving us a very detailed and vivid warning that he is the judge of all the earth and that he will thoroughly and completely and totally and finally judge every man and, and those who are not under the blood of the Lamb will face the wrath of the Lamb. And that's a mercy. And so because God is the only one who sees the scope of this judgment, he's the one who says, you need 14 chapters of thinking about this, that he's so merciful. And great, as a great demonstration of mercy to those who read it. Now, now, now a question comes, and we'll, and we'll, we'll answer this later, but, but I'll just put it in place right now, and that is, how, and I just say this with, with great humility, uh, as a rhetorical device. How does God justify this kind of wrath? It, 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 how does God justify this kind of wrath? It doesn't seem like what we're used to, right? This kind of like, this is coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Unless you repent, this is going to happen. It's going to happen to millions and upon millions of people. It's going to be horrifying. How does God... Well, here, well, the answer is, he doesn't. I'll just tell you this and then we'll, then we'll quit. In Revelation, there's something that's really interesting. There's songs that break out in Revelation, right? And the song in Revelation is at four. Worthy. Is that worthy? And, 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 and the one who sits on the throne is worshipped and deemed worthy. And, it, and why? Because he did what? Because in Revelation 4, because he did what? Because he what? You're right. Because he created all things. So he's worthy because he created. Do you praise him because he created all things? How many of you would say, I praise God because of his creation? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You ever look at God's creation and say, God, I just naturally praise you. I see this. I praise you, God. Okay, good. Now you think that's something. A little bit later on, you have another song that bursts forth, and they're praising him for what? They're praising the Lamb because he has redeemed to God men and women from every nation and tribe and tongue and people. How many of you praise God because of he redeemed you? Raise your hand. If you praise God because he redeemed you, of course you do. Those are some of our best songs, songs of redemption. Now, later on, what you're going to see in Revelation is that over and over again, more often than the people in heaven sing and praise God because he's the creator, more often than they praise the lamb because he's a redeemer, they praise God because he is the judge of the earth. And I can show you this in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 16. And I'm rounding third, and I'm heading for home. 11, 16, you have a song here. It's the 24 elders who sat before God on the thrones. They fell on their faces, and they worshiped God. They said, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come, because you have taken your great power, and you have reigned. The nations are, were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, they should be judged, that you should reward your servants and prophets, the saints, and that those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. What is he being praised for here? His great wrath. God doesn't have to apologize for his wrath. He would have to apologize if he didn't have great wrath. They're singing about God's wrath. They're singing about God's justice. They're, they're singing about God's avenging himself on those that are evil. Why don't we think that way? Because we're not godly. That's why we don't think that way. People think God's thoughts after them think about the way that... God, here's chapter 15 and verse 3. You have those that are victorious over the beast that are praising him in another song. They sang, this is chapter 15, verse 3. They sang the song of Moses, uh, the servant. And by the way, look at verse 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now the wrath of God is complete, and they're going to sing about it. 
Right? So it says, great, and this is chapter 15, verse 3, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you. Keep reading. For your judgments have been manifested. Why do we praise him? Because he created everything. Why else do we praise him? Because he redeemed us. Why else do we praise him? Because he's the judge. Yeah. And then chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. And I heard an angel. Now the angels are getting in on this, right? And they heard the angel saying, You're righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. By the way, that's repeated over and over again from back in chapter 1. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. The God who is the God of mercy is the God who is the God of justice, of vengeance, perfect love, and perfect justice. Only reside in that one person. The world that we live in is not fair, but the God that we serve and that we'll face someday is just. So we don't want to really worry about the fairness of the world. What we want to do is we want to worship the Lamb, the one who's on the throne, who's always just, who's always right, who's always righteous. So how do we endure injustice of others? Consider the justice of God. How can I endure when my life is unfair? I worship the God who is just. So I have a New Year's idea for you. You don't have to be concerned about injustice. You only have to concern yourself with the justice of God. And can I give you a little memory device as I close? What, you, what should you do if you've come face-to-face with the justice of God and you fear God and you reverence God, care about people that you love facing God? What should you do? Think 5-9, five, 5-9. Nine, five, nine. Do you remember that? 5-9. Revelation 5-9. Romans 5, 9. Can you follow me into this? Look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. How do you escape the wrath of the Lamb? Well, the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Now let me read to you, finally, Romans chapter 5. And verse 9, and the whole passage is so powerful, but much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Somebody's going to mock God and say, oh, I see what God, God is a, God has just said, here's a rule, and if you don't, and I love you, and if you don't keep it, I'm going to send you to hell. That isn't what God said. God, if a person says that, they show their absolute rebellion against God, their ignorance of God. God says, here's my offer of love to you. Here's my offer of mercy to you. Here's my offer of grace to you. I signed the letter in the blood of my son, Jesus. I plead with you and plead with you and plead with you. And the biggest parts of the scripture are the warnings against God's wrath and judgment. And if you choose to rebel against God, then you will face the judgment of God. You will face the wrath of God. But if you flee to the Lamb of God, then you have the mercy of God. Let's sing before we go home.